Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and this episode is Q&A number 20. As usual, if you have any questions that you want me to answer on the podcast, then you can send them to michael at scientifictriathlon.com or send them through the Facebook Messenger widget on my website, scientifictriathlon.com. So today, there's no sponsor, but I want to take just a quick minute to remind you that uh, I'm currently launching my new intermediate Ironman uh, training program. Uh, So there are a few more days to take advantage of the launch promo that I have, uh, during which you can get uh, 60% off uh, the regular price of the plan. And uh, as you know, I'm a big fan of individual coaching, and I think nothing compares even closely to getting an individual coach, but... uh, That's not something that is available to everybody for mainly uh, cost reasons, I guess. So a good generic training plan can get you a real long way to achieving your triathlon goals when you can't afford that individual coach. And as far as training plans go, I've uh, made my absolute best. I've put a lot of time and effort and also money into making sure that uh, this plan is uh, the best out there. That is always my goal. That will always be my goal with all the all the plans that I come out with, that they, they should always be better than, the, than my previous ones, and they should be better than anything else that's out there. So that's what I'm shooting for, and I hope that you'll agree as you go through this plan. It's 20 weeks long, so uh, that's more or less five months to prepare for your Ironman, and on average, you will be training for 11 hours per week. One uh, thing that I have gotten a lot of great feedback for already are the coaching videos that I have every week has a coaching video in the plan. So I talk you through that week and what are the most important things to consider in specific workouts and in the week as a whole. And of course, there's also an introduction video where I talk about how to use the plan as a whole and how to think about that and see the big picture. And uh, and some early adopters of the plan that uh, that got it last week or the last 10 days or so that it has been out by the time that you hear this, uh, I've already had some great feedback for those videos. So really, thank you guys. I appreciate all of, all of the praise for those coaching videos. So until Sunday, uh, the 10th of February, so just a few more days as you hear this, you will be able to get 60% off the regular pl- price. So you can get it for 30 US dollars on Training Peaks with the coupon code 60, that's 60. And the regular regular pl- price after that will apply and that will be 75 US dollars. So get it by the 10th of February or you will miss out on that. All right, so on to today's question, which comes from uh, Sundre Halden from Norway. Uh, hey, Sundre, uh, it's uh, nice to have a fellow Scandinavian writing in. Uh, Sundre writes, hi, Michael, I'm uh, a follower of that triathlon show. Great work. Uh, I have a question about the old saying, if you're not monitoring, you can't be managing. In triathlon terms, if you are not testing the effects of your training, you can't make smart adjustments. I am a top range age grouper in the 25 to 29 age group uh, in on the Ironman distance. And I'm having trouble accepting that normal tests for swim, the CSS test, 400 plus 200 meter, and uh, FTP test on the bike, 20 minutes, and uh, a 5k run as a run test. Uh, I feel that all of these tests are too heavily testing VO2 max and also anaerobic capacity and not the long distance grinding capabilities. So question number one, how relevant are these normal tests, the standard tests for Ironman athletes? All right, so I'll stop there and answer this part of the question first. 
uh, I think that they're still very, very relevant uh, because uh, even though you are right in a way that in, that you're saying that they're testing VO2 max quite a lot, it's not all VO2 max. It's definitely has more of an endurance component. Uh, but uh, but VO2 max, even if it was a pure VO2 max test, VO2 max is a great predictor of endurance performance in all endurance events, including Ironman. If you have a good VO2 max. On the swim, bike, and run, of course, you're you're going to have a different VO2 max in the different disciplines. Then you are likely going to be a very good Ironman athlete. Of course, you need to put in the work to get your endurance up there. But uh, but when you have that good VO2 max, that's really not that difficult. Uh, of course, VO2 max is not everything. But uh, but regardless, if you are a professional or you want to be a top age grouper or and the place on the podium, for example, in your age group. There is definitely a certain level of VO2 max that is required, without which you cannot achieve those goals. So let's uh, talk about the bike, for example, the 20-minute FTP test, because most people are familiar with that. In in that test, in a 20-minute all-out time trial on the bike, roughly 90% of the energy for that sort of effort comes from aerobic metabolism. There is a slight individual variation, of course, but uh, let's, for argument's sake, compare a more anaerobic athlete who gets uh, 12% so from anaerobic energy. So that would be like only 88% aerobic. Uh, and we compare that to a diesel engine who gets only 8% of their energy for that 20-minute effort anaerobically. Let's say both of them hold 300 watts for that 20-minute minute test. And that means that aerobically, the diesel engine produces 276 watts and the anaerobic athlete 264 watts. So there is a 12-watt difference there, which is, of course, significant. It likely means that the, the aerobic athlete, assuming they both do do like good training, they prepare properly for the Ironman, they put in the, the, the distance, the, the hours on the bike. Assuming they do that and they come to the Ironman with this sort of fitness, maybe this is what they would have tested the week before the race, then, yeah, the, the, the person that both of them did the same test, but the person who is more aerobic is probably going to be faster if we assume that everything else is equal, like aerodynamics and so on, and nutrition. And there are plenty of things that, that go into this, of course. So, so testing is not uh, by any means like the, the be-all, end-all to how you, how you will perform, uh, but, uh, but it, it does provide excellent benchmarking. Uh, but, but that 12 watts, it's percentage-wise, it's not that big really and uh, and even then like on a day-to-day basis you will probably have a variation of 12 watts from how much you can perform on one day uh, today's first day if you listen to this as this comes out compared to friday it's probably going to be a 12 watt difference between those two days so so it is significant but it's not massive so it comes back to the fact that roughly 90 percent of the energy for an ftp test comes aerobically and an Ironman event is a, an aerobic event. So so it's 90% there in, in making it a very good test. It is already a very good test because it is so heavily weighted towards the aerobic side. Uh, then on the run, uh, just as a note, I personally prefer to use 20 minutes as well rather than 5k for this very reason. Like if you have a, a faster runner, uh, somebody who is running 16, 17 minutes on the 5k, it can the the emphasis of VO2 max becomes even higher, and uh, perhaps you can use more anaerobic energy than the ten percent that we talked about for the twenty minute test. Uh, so uh, we usually consider VO2 max intensity that would be your six to eight minute time trial pace. Uh, so even if you're somebody who can run fourteen fifteen minutes for for a five k, you're still 
not running at your VO2 max, really. But but still, like I prefer to use the 20 minutes as a standardized time rather than a standardized distance. And actually talking about that, uh, the time trial, uh, the VO2 max uh, time to exhaustion, I guess, which is six to eight minutes usually. If we add 12 to 14 minutes to that to get to the, the 20 minute mark, then that, that it starts to become clear that even though you're you're working above your anaerobic threshold, it's not a sustainable pace, you're not that far above it. So so it sort of even evens out most of the differences that you would see in those shorter tests, like a pure six-minute time trial, for example, for anaerobic versus aerobic athletes. So the one thing that it perhaps does not even out as much is, let's say you have one athlete that has... Uh, a higher VO2 max than the other, uh, but uh, but the second athlete has uh, a greater running economy. Perhaps over the long distance, he can make that running economy count a bit more. Over the shorter distance, probably not as much. So he will test, he or she will test slower than the VO2 max strong athlete, so to say. But uh, but I still think that 20-minute tests, like they do provide an excellent marker of aerobic fitness. And uh, that's what we're after. VO2 max is super important for Ironman because that is the marker of your aerobic capacity. And it's your ceiling. It's in the name. It's your aerobic capacity. So it is important. And uh, even though, of course, you're not working at VO2 max intensity at an Ironman, you're going to be working at a certain percentage of VO2 max. And the higher the VO2 max is, then the higher the intensity that you will be working at in absolute terms is going to be, even though percentage-wise, it's the same. So uh, so that's uh, for the run. And uh, for the swim, the CSS test is interesting. Just doing a 400-meter time trial, that would definitely suffer from the problem that it's so short that uh, suddenly the differences between very anaerobic and very aerobic athletes, it becomes very significant. But uh, this is the the whole idea of the CSS test, is that you're also testing your 200-meter test, and you're looking at what the differential in the pace between those two tests are, the 400 and the 200-meter. And and if you compare these two athletes, the the anaerobic machine and the aerobic diesel, then the difference in pace drop-off from the 200 to the 400 will be probably a lot greater for the anaerobic athlete, and that's or it's it's on the basis of that that you calculate the CSS pace, so so that's a great leveler doing those two different tests. So even if uh, the uh, the anaerobic athlete is going to perform significantly better than the aerobic athlete in both of those tests, since the pace drop off is going to also to be larger for that athlete compared to the aerobic athlete, you actually find that they will might have a similar CSS pace, and this of course depends on what the actual times are but but theoretically you you could easily find this and and the css sort of is a marker of your threshold if you will on the swim even though that's not exactly what it is but we can use it as a good proxy for threshold test so again since you're doing that calculation you're looking at the drop off in pace that actually is a great way to level the playing field between uh, valuing anaerobic metabolism and aerobic metabolism so that you actually uh, you what what you're actually measuring if you're measuring the css itself then that definitely will show you what your aerobic capabilities on the swim are assume that you pace it well and i i also like to this is a a trick that you might want to apply yourself i calculate what the that drop-off is between the 400 and the 200 meter pace and uh, what i shoot for and what i want my athletes to shoot for is a drop-off that is 5% or less in pace. 
So let's say that you did the 200 in uh, 120 pace, that's 80 seconds, uh, so 120 per 100 meters. Uh, then you would want the uh, the 400 pace to be, oh, I need to bring out up my calculator here, 80 times 1.05, 84. So you'd want to do the 400 in 124 pace or faster. Otherwise, if you do it slower, then your drop-off is going to be greater than 5%. So that means that uh, it shows that you're leaning a bit too heavily on the anaerobic side. And, and that's something that you want to change with the training. So, so that answers the first question. They, they, are, they are highly relevant and they're good tests. They're not perfect, but they're good. Your quest, question number two here that Sender writes is, are there other testing protocols more suitable for Ironman athletes? So the first thing I want to say is that lab testing is really great it's the gold standard for a reason uh, so because actually knowing your vo2 max and your physiological threshold your anaerobic threshold your ftp that is the most relevant test for for any distance whether it's a sprint or ironman and uh, in in terms of field tests if you have the mental fortitude and the pacing skills then yeah it might make sense to make those common tests those standard tests even longer so for example do a 30 minute tt on the bike instead of a 20 minute uh, and uh, and on the run as well uh, and do a 1500 meter swim time trial so so those are some examples those are great tests and they will definitely be even more aerobic and uh, emphasize the aerobic endurance in the athlete rather than the the anaerobic side so perhaps they they might be better tests for an Ironman athlete but uh, the difficulty with these tests is that since they are longer uh, 50% longer in the case of the the time trials on the bike and run and uh, a lot longer in terms of the time and effort required for the swim especially it does require that mental fortitude and pacing skills it becomes perhaps a bit more difficult to work them into the training schedule and make sure that you can you can recover for them and be ready for them both mentally and physically uh, for the run you could just do a 10k race that would be a great uh, benchmark for sure but to sum up i guess that yeah i mean if if you can make it work like with with your physical physiological and uh, mental well-being as well as work it into your schedule in a smart way then it might make sense to go for those longer tests absolutely uh, but I'm actually going to make a big reveal right here, right now. And more information will follow on the podcast in just a couple of weeks. But my preferred method of testing athletes, and again, regardless of distance, and for now I'm only doing it on the bike, but that is to use a special critical power test that consists of a 15-second sprint, a 4-minute time trial, and a 20-minute time trial. And I then analyze the data, and I use a software called Inside which is created by physiologist Sebastian Weber. Uh, he's a really, really great German exercise physiologist and a coach. Uh, he's worked with athletes like Peter Sagan and Tony Martin that uh, I'm sure most of you are aware of. Uh, so with that, I can get the full metabolic profile of the athlete. And the greatest thing is that the accuracy of this testing, it's 2.2%, which is as good or better than the gold standard lab testing. Uh, for various reasons i've talked because i was i'm very interested in potential error sources coming from an engineering background and quite uh, quite a lot of statistics is what i focused on as well and uh, measuring errors that sort of thing uh, so i talked quite a lot with sebastian when i got onboarded to using this program about how it can be so accurate and uh, without going into detail it uh, it really is that accurate it's which is quite incredible but i'm sure sebastian will 
talk more about that when we when I have him on the podcast very soon. Uh, but since this is a test that you can do anywhere in the world, you just need your power meter. Uh, but again, right now it's only for the bike. But I'll soon open that up as a service to any athlete, so not just my coached athletes. So stay tuned for that. But that is by far the best testing method, in my opinion. Because what I then get is uh, not just the accurate threshold and VO2 max, uh, which again, is a, that's, that's definitely a disadvantage of these 20-minute tests, that uh, the thresholds that you get, you don't get VO2 max. You get a threshold if you use the standard 95%, but that's usually not really accurate. What, what I've seen when I've been able to compare my athletes' field tests with uh, lactate tests, for example, is that that percentage should usually be between 90 and 95, but uh, let's say between 90 and 92 is more common, or 90 and 93%. So 95% overestimates the threshold uh, most commonly. But but in addition to getting the accurate threshold and VO2 max, so not overestimated, overinflated versions of them, I also get the lactate building rate, VLA max. So that is like the anaerobic equivalent of VO2 max, if you will. So And that's something that most people don't even know how this VLA max, the lactate building rate, is super important for endurance performance. And specifically for long-distance athletes, for Ironman athletes, you want to have a low lactate building rate. And why is this important? Because your threshold, your FTP, whatever you want to call it, which I think we can all agree is massively important, it is determined to something like 98% by only two variables. And those are VO2 max and VLA max. So those two variables, the aerobic capacity and the anaerobic uh, capacity, if you want to use that term, those two variables are the only ones that, that really impact your FTP. So to give you an example, let's say we have two athletes that are both 75 kilograms. Both have an FTP of 250 watts. Here's the interesting thing. Rider A, he may have a VO2 max of 50 and rider B may have a VO2 max of 63 so that's a 26% difference in VO2 max. That's something that anybody listening to this would probably kill for <laughs> to get that sort of VO2 max improvement. But the reason that they have the same FTP is that rider A has a low VLA max, uh, a VLA max of 0.3 millimoles per liters per second. And this is around the level that you need to be a professional Ironman athlete. But uh, age groupers can achieve this level. Much like for most age groupers, it's impossible to achieve professional level VO2 max because that's they're typically limited by genetics. And if not by genetics, then by the time they have available to put into training, which definitely is one big component of getting a high VO2 max. But VLA max, it's easier to get to that level uh, for an age grouper. A rider B, the one that has a 63 VO2 max rather than 50, he, on the other hand, has a VLA max of 0.9, which is around the level of a sprinter-type cyclist. So same FTP, vastly different metabolisms. So now, if we can train rider A to get to a VO2 max of, let's say, 60, his or her FTP will go from 250 watts to 310 watts. So that's a 60-watt increase by increasing VO2 max by 10. Uh, that's, of course, a big increase in VO2 max. So that's quite difficult, but it might be possible, depending on how that athlete has trained in the past, what their history is and what their genetic uh, capabilities are. But the training that will take that athlete to a 310-watt FTP 
is going to be totally different from the type of training that rider B has to do to get to a similar FTP. Because for rider B, what we want to do is to train them to decrease their lactate building rate. So let's say that we can reduce the lactate building rate from 0.9 to 0.5. And remember for reference that rider A was at 0.3. But even if we can just get to 0.5 for rider B, then we can increase their FTP to 300 watts without changing VO2 max whatsoever. So in my opinion, this is uh, because this testing method, the critical power test with inside software uh, that gives me the full metabolic fingerprint, including all of these metrics, the VO2 max threshold and the VLA max, plus a carb and fat combustion, which is of course as well super important for, uh, for any athlete, but especially for long distance triathletes. For these reasons, this is by far the superior testing method to any other, uh, because even in most lab tests, you don't get to know your lactate building rate. And when we know both your lactate building rate and your VO2 max, that's when we can really know what type of training it makes sense to focus on for that individual athlete. You could test VLA max in a lab fairly easily, even yourself with a friend if you have a lactate meter. Uh, but again, as I said, for some reason, most labs seem not to offer that service. I don't know why, perhaps because it's not fully understood how important this is to performance. Uh, but the way that you would do it is to simply warm up on the bike and uh, measure your baseline lactate after that warm up or at the end of that warm up. Then you would do a 15 second all out sprint. You would measure your lactate levels, for example, every other minute. So after Two minutes after finishing the sprint, four minutes, six minutes, maybe seven and eight minutes until you get to your lactate peak. So you reach your highest lactate number and then it, the lactate starts, starts to drop because it will take a while for, for that lactate to get uh, from the muscles into the blood flow so that you can actually measure what your peak lactate was. So you would take this peak lactate and you would uh, subtract your baseline lactate from that and that would be how much lactate you built up. And you would divide this amount of lactate by 12 seconds. And why 12? That is because during the first three seconds or so of the sprint, you are using direct energy sources, creatine phosphate and ATP perhaps, rather than producing glycolytic energy with lactate. So that's why we take 12 seconds and not, uh, not 15 seconds. So let's say that you, your baseline lactate was uh, 1 millimole, and your peak lactate was 10 millimoles, then you would take uh, 9 millimoles per liter uh, and divide that by, by 12 seconds, and that would be your lactate building rate. So, uh, yeah, that was... Uh, th that that explained, I guess, the, I just, just had to go back and look at the question. Are there testing protocols more suitable for Ironman athletes? Uh, now, having gotten used to getting data from, uh, from my athletes with uh, VO2 max and VLA max, uh, yeah, I would not go back to to any other way than this. That's uh, but but you can test VL. You don't need to use a software to get VLA max. You can use it with a lactate test, like I just described. And what you can then do is you do a separate field test. You do uh, a four or a five minute time trial on the bike, and that will give you your power at VO2 max. It won't give you your VO2 max, but you can get your your power at VO2 max. And uh, I'm sure there are ways, like you can probably find some calculators online to, to estimate your VO2 max based on that. So that shouldn't be too difficult to find. Question number three. Lots of studies evaluate training effect in increased VO2 max and FTP. 
Typical Ironman training with long sessions and intervals at Ironman and half Ironman pace are usually not the best way of increasing these parameters. So by using an FTP test and having very little gain, one thing that uh, one could think that training was ineffective. But I would argue, argue that it's still very possible that, uh, that the athlete could have improved their Ironman capabilities. Yeah, this is a, a great point, and uh, it, uh, it gives us an example of why it's so important to understand why you're doing what you're doing in training. So yes, you should be doing some race intensity before a race. Whether it's an Ironman, you should be doing Ironman intensity. If it's a half Ironman, you should be doing half Ironman intensity in the lead up to the race. The reason that you're doing this is uh, it's a way to make sure that your exercise economy on the bike, on the run and on the swim at those specific race intensities is topped up. We call this economization. But you shouldn't overdo it. I think it's a very common mistake to do too much race intensity for too long. And you are right. It's not the best way to achieve any of the things we want to achieve other than economization. So we're not really seeing the same increases in FTP or in VO2 max or decreases in VLA max that I just introduced to you. So, uh, So I think that starting the race specific intensity Eight weeks out from the race, for example, that's more than enough. And it depends a lot on how you race. If you're somebody that races quite a lot, you do a lot of half Ironmans uh, every single year and you're used to that, then eight weeks suddenly starts to seem too much to me. Then I would say that perhaps four weeks before the race, then you do another build and uh, after that race, and then you take four weeks before the next race and so on. You, you don't need to do too much of that race-specific intensity. Uh, and, and that is a common mistake that a lot of age groupers do. They train too much at race intensity. And in this case, in half and full Ironman, that's not really uh, effective training. It's a different thing if you're, you're training for sprint and Olympic distance races, because those are more useful, more beneficial intensities, because they are close to or above your threshold. So, so those are very useful intens- intensities to be training at physiologically as well. But yeah, I mean, eight, eight weeks, if you're not racing very many races each year then that that eight weeks period is is quite good i guess as a uh, as a rule of thumb but but it is more than enough you don't need to do more than that so i do in many cases start much later with with my athletes depending on their rate race schedule so my suggestion for what to do here is that uh, as you enter the final part of your race preparation so let's say that you do the, the you do five weeks of race intensity and one to two weeks of taper before your race during that period, you're no longer looking to increase FTP or VO2 max or reduce VLA max. Your physiology is where it is, uh, except for your economy. That's what you're, you're working on. And race-specific preparation like race fueling, aerodynamics, just getting comfortable training for a long time on the bike and on the run, uh, open water swimming, those sorts of things. But you're not really looking to increase FTP, VO2 max, uh, those sorts of things. You're done with that. The hay is in the barn. Uh, but until that point, when you start that race intensity phase, your goal should be to improve your fitness, either by increasing VO2 max or reducing VLA max. And uh, any one of these can increase your FTP. Of course, this depends on where you are. Like if you're already at 0.3 VLA max, then it's clear that you need to work on increasing VO2 max rather than decreasing VLA max. But your training should reflect this goal of increasing your fitness at uh, all other periods, uh, except for this very last period before the race. Because that race-specific intensity 
it has very diminishing returns when you do it for too long so there's no point doing too much of it it's good but don't do do it for too long okay so final question here how can muscular endurance in the ironman context be tested so this again is uh is an interesting question uh, first of all, uh, muscular endurance or strength endurance, as it's also called, is a term that a lot of us, including myself, use, and quite a lot. It doesn't necessarily have a very clear definition, at least that I'm aware of. Uh, somebody may correct me, uh, but not really a specific definition that, that comes to mind for me, at least. But uh, for the listeners that may not know what it is, when we refer to this, we often refer to workouts that are muscular endurance workouts. That's how I refer to it, at least. So on the bike, a great example would be uh, doing doing intervals at low cadence. So you need to produce the power that your target power, whatever that is, using a higher torque rather than a higher cadence. Uh, so that means that you're you're basically using you're forcing your muscles to work more than your cardiovascular system. What a lot of people don't know is why we do this. What what is the whole purpose of this? Well, the idea is that you can convert some of your your super fast twitch fibers the two x fibers to more moderately fast fibers that also have they have some mixed capabilities so they are both fast twitch but they have some slow twitch capabilities so they are called the 2a fibers they are the middle type of fibers so we convert the the usain bolt 2x fibers to to the 2a fibers and the 2a fibers that we have we can make them more endurable is that a word i think it is through that sort of training through the strength endurance training However, for this to happen, the power that we produce needs to be high enough that uh, these muscle fibers are actually recruited. Because if the power is too low, like we're going, I know that some people say that you can do these these low cadence efforts at like zone two or low zone three. I disagree completely because we're not re- recruiting these fibers at those intensities. We are only recruiting slow twitch fibers that we really have no benefit from uh, from training this way. So, so what we want to do is go at a high enough intensity that uh, that we're actually recruiting these fast twitch fibers, and that is typically, for comparison, around sweet spot intensity, maybe higher zone three tempo uh, also. But sweet spot intensity is uh, the sweet spot intensity really also in terms of strength endurance. You can go higher, you can go towards threshold, but then of course you can do less total work. So it really depends on what you want to get out of it. But you should be at minimum at that high zone free or but sweet spot intensity is like that's the the mark to shoot for in my opinion that's where the bulk of strength endurance training can fall and that's something that for example uh this was not planned but in my intermediate ironman plan that i just talked about earlier you'll see a lot of these workouts like sweet spot intensity or zone four intensity with these low cadence efforts and that's all to doing this work with the muscles muscle fibers transforming the fast twitch fibers to mid twitch and slow twitch or, or making them more endurable so to say and and also this type of training it reduces vla max again so it, it all comes back to that uh, which we already talked about if you can reduce vla max your ftp is going going up all else being equal so bingo that's uh, that's how we do that so Muscular, muscular endurance training, strength endurance training, it's a way to get to VLA max and train that and specifically train it to become lower, which for endurance athletes, uh, and now I don't, I'm not talking about sprinters, but I'm talking about like time trial, steady endurance athletes like Ironman, half Ironman, 
we want that lower VLA max. So to answer your question, how do we test muscular endurance? Well, since the goal of that muscular endurance training is to lower VLA max, you do it by testing your VLA max, which I described before. You can do it as a lactate test, the 15-second sprint test, or you can do it as part of that critical power test that I described, just using your power meter and uh, and the inside software. Uh, so with, with that, I'll link to the inside, uh, by the way, and uh, I also link to a great YouTube video with uh, a workshop that Sebastian from Inside did in Boulder in the summer of 2018, I think. That is great and goes into a lot of this physiology. I stole my example with the 250-watt FTP rider uh, from, from that presentation because I didn't have the numbers. So so that's from there, uh, full credit. I'll link to all of that in the episode description. Just note that it's not available to athletes. You can't go and sign up for it. It's only available to coaches. So you have to go through a coach to do that testing. And uh, there are some coaches that, uh, that do it. Uh, I will personally open up uh, my testing service for it within the next few weeks. So definitely feel free to email me or message me already if you are interested in, in doing this sort of testing and getting the results and the and the analysis and importantly the training prescription like what does this mean for you what will be your best type of training given your metabolic fingerprint all right so that's about it remember as i mentioned before the show the intermediate ironman training plan a few days left to get it at uh, the now or never uh, 60% discount uh, it's uh, the coupon code is 6060 and that will give you the plan for 30 US dollars on training peaks rather than the regular pl- price of 75 which will apply after the 10th of February so I'll link to that in the uh, show notes or you can go through my website and just in the menu you have a tab called training plans and you just click through to the uh, intermediate Ironman plan and that will take you where you need to go Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.